Okay, let's pray. Father, this morning, please be our teacher to point out what is already true. Not because I may say something, because you have. And may your scriptures confirm it. Make us teachable, prepare us to, uh, well, prepare us to uh, um, learn and be stretched beyond what we think we already know. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First rule of thumb, turn off your volume. See? One second. There. So if you have your phones, turn them to vibrate at this time. <laughs> Too funny. All right. We are in uh, number three in a series called Healing Life's Hurts Through Understanding Forgiveness. Forgiveness is a huge topic. And uh, today we're going to take a look at living forgiven. And I want to make a case for forgiveness. This is big. The reason this is big is because I've come to discover there are two primary biggies, I'll call them biggies, that Christians have a hard time believing in order for them to understand the grace of God and experience walking in freedom. The two biggies, there are more, fine, we'll get to them, but the two biggies for me is our union with Jesus, that we are one with Christ. Many Christians do not know this, even though Paul whispers it gently in Colossians 1.27, psst, Christ lives in you. The second one, this was my big one when I first read Grace Walk uh, almost 20 years ago now, um, that we're absolutely forgiven already. Fully. So today, I want to invite you into making a case for forgiveness. And here's why. The system of religion has communicated false or incomplete information. Yes, there's false information coming out. I have taught false information in the past. I, keep, I know, what, are you kidding me? Well, we all grow. Have you ever said something wrong about God that was incorrect? Yes, you have, so have I. We are all on a journey of growing and learning. None of us have arrived. We need each other. God's bigger than we ever thought. So what do I mean? We have been told that this forgiveness thing is up to us. That's the gist of what the religion world has taught us, even the Christian religion. It's up to us to get forgiven, so it's up to you to make sure you ask for forgiveness. So the onus is on you, right? Ring a bell, anyone? Okay. And then it's up to you to stay forgiven, okay? You have to maintain. You have to act right. Obey your leaders. Obey the Bible. And anybody that brings that up uses the Bible incorrectly. They use it as a weapon, not a story of grace. Big difference. The ones that come and club you are judging you and controlling you. Every time. Every time. That's uh, that, it also says that we need to keep a running list and confess every sin, including the ones we didn't know we did. Remember that one? Oh, dear God, I pray for all the stuff I didn't know I did. And, and forgive me for the stuff, the, the sins of omission, that I should have, the things I should have been doing but I wasn't doing. So forgive me for all that too, like the blind guy that I never helped across the street. 
poor guy. And then whatever, you know, like, do you, do you hear the logic of this? Let me give you a silly picture, just so you can catch the context of how silly it is that it's up to you to stay forgiven up, okay? Pretend you're in church worshiping the Lord on a Sunday. Isn't it beautiful? Wow, oh, my heart's moved. And then it's all over. You go outside. Oh, just so full of happiness. I felt so good. What an awesome sermon. And then, of course, to go to the road here, and somebody cuts you off, and you just give them the whatever, you know? And, and you're like, suddenly that joy is gone, and you've switched to her. And then, without realizing it, you crept out into the center, and boom, you get killed by a truck going past. But you forgot to confess your sin. What do you do with that? Right? Do you hear how crazy that is? I am discovering a God who is bigger and better than that. So my question today, oh, by the way, it has an implication for your eternity. <laughs> Sucks to be you. I'm sorry you didn't say forgiveness. You know? What if? What if? And that's my case today. What if? There is a more, or there are more hope-filled perspectives on this topic. Many who come from a really religious world and use the Bible to club each other with right doctrine will not like today very much because they're, think, they're, they have an opposite verse ready. Yeah, well, what about this? What about that? Well, how about you just chill and let the words that are going to be shared this morning build its own case? Okay? Usually those that are coming back at you, they're not there to be teachable. They're there to correct you because they're the right ones. They're the authority, the ones whose job is to make sure we keep God's word solid. It's not up to them. Who is your teacher, folks? Thank you. Not your pastor. Not your spouse. You know? <laughs> Sorry, slipped out. Let's move on. So, in this whole series, in this whole series, we're dealing with God and mankind, you and me. So, to understand forgiveness, first, the last couple weeks have been about God's forgiveness of us. And today will be the big clinch left hook on that part. And then we move on to the whole purpose of this conference, or the conference, this teaching. <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> I've taught it as a conference, all right? <laughs> we're going to move into this. Horizontal forgiveness between you and me. Almost the entire New Testament is about the relational connection with us. All the instructions we have from Paul and Peter and John uh, of how we're to live are so this happens. You and I get along for our benefit. That's why he says, don't do this, don't do that. Well, that sounds like a law. It's not a law. It's a, it's a warning because there's consequences and those consequences are going to get you. They will pay you back. Sin punishes you, not God. That's big. So this is the journey of it. So I'm going to ask that you be teachable to have your understanding expanded today. That's my hope. Let's dig in. So, how does Jesus view sin and humanity? I'm going to be rapid fire. You do not have to take notes for these verses because I have at the back table where you sign up for the Christmas tree sign up thingy because the sheet didn't make it around everywhere. 
These are there. I have all the verses that I'm going to be using today plus more. The ones in yellow or highlighted are the ones I'm using this morning. The rest are the extras that it'd be a really long sermon if I went through them all, okay? So I'm not going to do that. There's enough of a case here for you to see, wait a minute. If I have this concept that it's up to me to get forgiven and stay forgiven, what do I do with these verses? So that's what I'm doing. I'm submitting exhibit number A, B, C, D, F, G, A, okay, all that. Watch this. This is Old Covenant too, this verse. Daniel 9.24, Old Testament and Old Covenant. It says, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin. This is why Jesus is coming, back in Daniel. To make atonement for iniquity in everlasting righteousness. It goes on. Again, I'm going to go rapid fire because I don't want to bore you. I want to get you to see the repetition and build the case. She will bear a son. This is Matthew 121. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Okay. Next. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of some people who believe in him. Is that what it says? Oh, shoot. You're right. It doesn't. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus' purpose was to come and take, one of the purposes is to take away the sin of the world. Either he did it or he didn't. Choose. Next. I love this. Matthew 26, 28. For this is the blood that seals the new covenant. It will be poured out for many for the complete forgiveness of sins. Complete forgiveness. This is in the Passion Translation. The Aramaic, Aramaic word of here for covenant is can be translated new, but is better rendered renewed covenant or repaired covenant. And you're going to see why that is important coming up. You're going to notice that when I talk about the Old Covenant, Old Testament lens of forgiveness, please remember this. I was looking for it all night last night, and I couldn't find it until I just read it right now in front of all of you. Now I know where it is. So that is coming later at slide number 18 or something. 1 John 3, 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. Okay? Next, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. By the way, this is in Hebrews 9.26. There's a whole bunch of uh, verses here from Hebrews that you've got to look up. There's, there's a really good case there, especially if you want to dig deeper. This is a great lesson. By the way, if you don't pick it up, uh, just email me or message me, and I'll send you the PDF of it. I have it ready to be sent out for anyone who asks. First uh, John 2, 2 says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Am I making up the wording? No. And the good news is, you can go look it up in your own Bible later and discover it's, it does say that. I'm not just editing uh, to make my case. I'm showing you some key verses that really, really matter. Because growing up, my issue was, am I really forgiven? I was told, you know, when you do that, you're going to go to hell for that. How many have heard that? We've, that's like a standard churchy line, you know, and all these scary signs along the highway. You know, if you don't, you're going to burn, you're done. You know, and all that stuff. It's, It's like love just flowing out of those signs sometimes. I just, wow, yes, draw me in. Anyway, 1 John 2, 12. 
I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. Have been is in which tense? Past tense. Okay? At this point, just even one really good verse like that should tell you, look, you are forgiven. Let's read another, oh no, Romans 8.1. That's coming back later, you'll see. Uh, so now the case is closed. Oh good, my sermon's done. <laughs> I made a case. The case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. This is from the Passion Translation. Therefore, there, now there's no condemnation for anyone who's in Christ, right? That, if you're into, uh, you had to memorize the kid or whatever, or part of a church. Um, there is no condemnation. There's no condemning voice that comes from your Heavenly Father. It's an impossibility. Anything that could be condemning was taken care of. Did he or didn't he? Did he succeed or not? That it is finished part's pretty big. Romans 5.10. Oh, this was big. Please read carefully the nuance here. This could blow your mind. Some of you have been following me along for a while now and have been listening to these messages. You're going to go, yeah, I remember now. Watch. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled. That's kind of big. It's when we didn't believe, when we didn't know, while we were enemies. He reconciled you while you were still enemies, while you're still blind. You're reconciled. Your prayer didn't do it. He did it. It's good news. We were reconciled to God, what? Through the death of his son, and now, and then, how much more, having been reconciled, we will, will we be saved by his life? There's a nuance here you've got to catch. He's bigger than our boundaries. He's bigger than our ceilings. He's bigger than our theological boxes that said, nope, has to fit in this box. Oh yeah? It's time to smash some boxes. Because God doesn't live in those. 2 Peter 1.9. I'm going to read you some commentary underneath in just a moment. But if anyone lacks these things, he is blind constantly closing his eyes to the mysteries of our faith and, love this, you just saw it earlier, something like it, and forgetting his innocence, for his past sins have been washed away. You're clean. So what's this blind part? Um, One translation says nearsighted. Um, So here, let's let's read this part, because I want you to catch this. Although the Greek word mysoposa can mean nearsighted, it is a compound word taken from the base word of mysterion, mystery, and op, not, not optimal prime, but optimi, to look upon and behold. The implication is this, that when the virtues of the divine nature are not flourishing in believers, when what is true about you is not functioning in you, when you're not believing what is already true and you choose not to, it is because they are closing their eyes to the mysteries of our faith, i.e., Christ in us, the hope of glory. Oh, look at that. Colossians 127, is that amazing? So, 
people wonder if they're forgiven? What if you're just revealing your measure of maturity? Or even worse, you're just revealing what you're looking at and believing. I choose to believe I am forgiven and walk in that. Number two, washed away. Sins have washed away. The Aramaic can be translated, he is still searching for the purification of his original sins. You didn't believe he forgave you, is what you're saying. So if, if you read that whole context of, of 2 Peter 1, he's saying, look, if you want to be productive and useful in your knowledge of God, these are the things that are going to happen to you. And if you're now unproductive, it's probably because you've forgotten. You're nearsighted and have forgotten you have already been forgiven. I was a pastor in Fort Erie begging God for my forgiveness every morning. What? I had to do the duty. I had to have my quiet time and, and do the, the right phraseology. Dear God, forgive me. And, and I Because I did not believe. And I believed I was forgiven for those sins I asked for. But then I felt bad. I said, did I really ask it right? And came back. And those kept haunting me, haunting me, and haunting me. The things from my past. And then, oh, this has changed my world and my complete perspective of the love of God. I now get to walk in freedom, not guilt. I don't have to keep a checklist. He doesn't. This is from William Barclay. I want to read this to you because it'll make sense. The effect of the cross, at least in this sphere of thought of Paul, was on man, not on God. The effect of the cross changed not the heart of God, but the heart of man. It was man who needed to be reconciled, not God. It is entirely against all Pauline thought to think of Jesus Christ pacifying an angry God or to think that in some way God's wrath was turned to love and God's judgment was turned to mercy because of something which Jesus did. When we look at it in Paul's way, it was man's sin which was turned to penitence. Man's rebellion which was turned to surrender. Man's enmity which was turned to love by the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ upon the cross. It cost that cross to make that change in the hearts of men. If you go back to last week, we made a really strong case. Jesus and his Father are the same. They believe the same. They act the same. Well, what about the scriptures? Yep. There's some unlearning and exploring to do. I'm working on it. Some, I've read some great guys who've given some really healthy answers for where I'm at right now. They may not be good enough for you. But for me, I'm, I'm finding answers. And again, I don't have to have the answer, which is a Western way of living. Control get to argue better than the other people. I know more than you do. I'm more right than you are. It's silly. That's not, the, that's not the love of Christ in us. He's making a big point here. So why does this foundation matter? If we're going to go through the series of what is forgiveness, why do we need to forgive, what forgiveness is not, how to forgive, getting over guilt and shame, that's all coming. Why is this so important? 
Because this has to be laid as your groundwork. Because if you do not know you are forgiven, you're going to approach God, however you see him, from the place of not having something. Begging for something that is already yours. I want to wipe that out. Not me. Let the scriptures do it. The last Adam resolved the problem that had been caused by the first Adam. He's not called the second Adam. Jesus is not called the second Adam. He's called the last Adam. Big difference. Because there ain't going to be a third, fourth, fifth. So Adam introduced independence and became darkened in his mind. And that just became contagious all through history. And Jesus came to take away that blindness, that darkness, to reconcile where things weren't right. I'm not going to get into reconciliation today because I've covered that enough times in the past. And for the purpose of this, let's keep going. When Jesus died, we died with him. You need to know what happened to you at the cross. Not only do we need to know what happened to Jesus at the cross, you were there too. Most people don't realize that. They think there's this weird porting that when you say the prayer, now I get plopped up, transplanted to Christ. He redoes his dying thingy up again, then come somehow quantumly brought back. Oh, I'm a new creation now. It's already happened. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3, 3. You have already died. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. I'm not making this stuff up. Oh, don't forget this. Memorize that. Especially when condemnation comes. It's Christ's love that compels us to do all that we do. Not a church, not a system, not rules. The love of Christ compels you to do anything and everything we are called to do. And if he compels you, he's also the, the strength to do whatever he's called you to do. He's also the outcome of everything he's called you to do. Yeah, oh my goodness, there's more resting going on than we know. There's more participation going on than we possibly knew. Romans 6, Passion Translation, verses 4 and 5. Sharing in his death, and this is the focus here, is you have died with Christ. Sharing in his death by our baptism means that we were co-buried and entombed with him. So that when the Father's glory raised Christ from the dead, we were also raised with him. This is where the Pentecostals go, yeah! Clearly none are here. Fine. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> we have been co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life. You have already been empowered to walk out this new abundant life. Even if you don't feel like it. Even if you feel so terribly about yourself and feel so inadequate, I am nobody, I'm going to the garden to eat worms. You know, there's some, something wrong with me somehow. You just don't know it. I know it. Well, wait a minute. Do you know more than God? Really? Like, really, really? I kind of doubt it. For since we are permanently grafted into him to experience a death like this, 
then we are permanently grafted into him to experience a resurrection like his and the new life that imparts, it imparts. Do you not know the power in you? It's not something you muster up. There's not like a scale of power in you where, okay, there's one ounce, two ounces, four cups, six cups. How, how full are you? Well, you know, we have sang that song, fill my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord. I'm only halfway up now. You know, no, we don't do that. And one Pentecostal church, literally, they, this lady was always saying, fill me, Jesus, fill me, Jesus. Finally, one of the ushers says, don't do it, Lord, she leaks. <laughs> you are full of everything you need. You are one with Jesus. Therefore, his power is your power. You have been given everything you need for godly living. You lack nothing. Everyone. Romans 6, 6, the next verse. Knowing this then, that our old man, our old identity, was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Jesus has removed the problem. So don't go wandering after it anymore. It has no power on you. The only power it has on you is the power you give it. It has no real power. I love this from the new, uh, Passion Translation. If you've not read the Passion Translation, oh my goodness, it's, it's really, really good. Could it be any clearer that our former identity, our old son of Adam, is now and forever deprived of its power? Woohoo! That's awesome. For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us or have dominion over us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. That's how I want to live. And little wisdom, don't you try to make it happen. Because suddenly we go, oh, yeah, okay, now I'm going to focus on not sinning. Well, what are you focusing on? Sin. Stop it. Focus on living. What you, your intention is on, what your focus is on, that will be what manifests in your life. Come on, clicker. There we go. So how does Jesus view us? Colossians 2. I love, love, love this. When, back, remember that one I said was really powerful, really important to catch? This is another one like that. And when you were dead in your transgressions. Remember the other one was while you're still enemies? When you're dead in your transgression in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting decrees against us, which was hostile to you. The list was hostile. The list was hostile to you. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You are forgiven. when you were dead. That's got some ramifications, people. I'm not going to blurt it out because people accuse me of stuff. I'm going to let the scriptures say it and you figure it out. But it's pretty blunt. Look it up. Get this sheet. Go read in your own context. Find out the love of God is bigger and wider and better than we thought. He's not here to control us as in, you know, like puppets. He wants to live his life through us, out of a relationship. That's what we're called to. 
Galatians 2.20, we've heard this one before. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. Are we getting the in me part pretty clear? Okay, really? Good. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It, the, the translation is incorrect. Uh, it says I live by faith in God. I live by faith in God. I, guess who the focus is on? I, my faith, which is where we get this false idea that it's up to us to muster up faith. We can't muster up faith. Jesus gives us any and all faith we have. We live by the faith of the Son of God. If you have a King James Bible, they got it right. Young's literal translation says, I live by Son of God faith. The Passion translation says it like this, my old identity has been co-crucified with Messiah and no longer lives. For the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine, for the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union. There it is. Woohoo! As one. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. If he dispenses his life into you, oh my goodness, he's a major giver. And he hasn't stopped. He is constantly spilling life into you, constantly speaking to you. I don't ever hear him. Uh, maybe uh, your radio station's really off. Or he'll learn how to listen. That's for another series. How can we hear God? Not as hard as you think. And by the way, he's big enough to get your attention. That's good news. 2 Corinthians 5.17, a couple translations. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. You are a new creation in Christ. Passion translation. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. This would include our old identity, our life of sin, the power of Satan, the religious works of trying to please God, which was, I, was, I was really good at trying anyway, our old relationship with the world, and our old mindsets. We are not reformed or simply refurbished. We are made completely new by our union with Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Do you know who you are? 1 Peter 3, 18, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Once, I thought it said once and for all. Once for all. Look it up. Romans 6.10. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. You are forgiven forever. This is big, especially when you come from a background that requires you to stay forgiven. There are some church systems that make you come weekly before you can take up communion or whatever. And, and you know, you know what I mean. It's the guilt trip. Huh. What about the old covenant law? Abraham. Galatians 3 basically tells us, I can't get into this because I don't have enough time. Um, but Galatians 
says he was already forgiven by faith. He was living under a grace covenant. That was the covenant that had to be restored. Remember I said, hey, something's coming up later? This is it. It was already a grace covenant. Moses was about an eye for an eye. It was a mentality. And by the way, if you haven't figured it out yet, the law was only given to the Jews. Not to you. You're not under the law. You never were. So don't function or try to live after the law. Jesus, he ministered under the law when he came. Do you know all the writings of Jesus are old covenant? When does the new covenant begin? At the cross. So he lived, taught, healed, spoke under the old covenant still. It was so he could make people aware of their sin because they were trying to achieve through behaviors they could attain righteousness. He said, uh, you, you say this, but I say this. And he, he jacks up the requirement for rightness. Do you remember that, the whole Sermon on the Mount? It's because that was the original law. Law cannot be met by anybody. None of you can keep the law. The law is there to fertilize sin. And there's a lot spread around Elmira on certain days. The law fertilizes sin. That's what the scriptures say. That's for another series? I gotta move on. I've covered that already. He spoke out of the law, but he acted in grace. (laughs) He came to fulfill the law. Do you remember that? He came to fulfill it. And after having fulfilled it, what happens to a covenant? What happens to a will for it to be enacted? You have to die. Jesus died and that will then becomes open and done and over with, never to be used again. And a new covenant has come in, and that is the covenant we are under. Covenant of grace, complete forgiveness, life. And yet he spoke from a more ancient truth about love and grace. For those who have ears to hear, a more ancient one. What about this threat? This comes up often. I talked about this a couple weeks ago uh, from the Lord's Prayer. After you do the Lord's Prayer, then they have this tag on that says... For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Well, how does that fit into all this? Doesn't that make sense? That's a really good question. I don't have the full answer. You're supposed to go, oh. (laughs) But I'm going to give you some suggestions that are going to be helpful to to see this. An option is, he was speaking under the law. And under the law, it was about you, you, you have to forgive or not be forgiven. It, it was that system. That's one option. Until I was given, I think, a better one from a pastor in Edmonton, just north of Edmonton. Um, Martin Trench is his name. I've got to give him credit because when he showed me this, I was blown away. What language did Jesus speak? Aramaic. What language is the Bible written in, the New Testament mostly? Greek and Aramaic. Mostly Greek. So, what if we were to go back and have the Lord's Prayer translated into first century Aramaic? What would it sound like? Get ready to have your socks blown off. Because this to me, my heart leapt with, this makes more sense! You ready? Oh, we don't have enough time. Let's, let's do this next one. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. 
<laughs> okay, if you can read with me or you can, you can listen as well, but here's what it says. I'm just kidding, I can't read any of that. So, O thou from whom the breath of life comes, who fills all realms of sound, light, and vibration. Ooh, what could that be? Isn't that physics? Yeah. I'll email this to anybody that wants it. May your light be experienced in my utmost holiest. Your heavenly domain approaches. Thy kingdom come. Let your will come true in the universe, all that vibrates. Anybody with science knows this. Just as on earth, that is material and dense. It gets better. Give us wisdom, understanding, assistance for our daily need. This is it, folks. Detach the fetters of faults that bind us. Karma. Don't let that freak you out. Like we let go of the guilt of others. Let me read that again. Detach the fetters of faults that bind us like we let go of the guilt of others. That's very different, isn't it? Let us not be lost in superficial things, materialism, common temptations. But let us be freed from what keeps us off from our true purpose. I love this. From you comes the all-working will, the lively strength to act, the song that beautifies all and renews itself from age to age. Amen. Sealed in trust, faith, and truth. I confirm with my entire being. Can you say wow backwards? Let's go back to this verse. If you don't forgive men their trespasses, your father won't forgive you. Here's an Aramaic way of understanding this. Yes, there's the old covenant concept that's one option, but what if it's this? If you don't unfetter the chains and release that guilt of others, God's not going to do it for you. You do it. Because everything we've, said, we've seen already from Scripture that has shown us we are forgiven, correct? We are. Okay? So moving forward, it cannot mean this after the cross. Cannot. But the Aramaic, oh wait, they're about relationships. They're about this, horizontal, connecting, high value on that. Something our society is not. Forgiveness under the new covenant. We forgive because we have been forgiven. After the death, burial, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, all teaching on forgiveness comes from a pure grace perspective. It speaks of our sins in the past. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. We're coming back to that one in the series. Oh, wait. Has forgiven. Has, has, has forgiven you. Just saying. I, even I, the one who wipes your, out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will, re, I will not remember your sins. This is Old Testament. There's a whole bunch of this stuff in the Old Testament. Remember. If I lose my front of my arm, what's that called? I dismember it. He's not going to remember your sins to you anymore. He will not attach them to you. You're free. He's not going to 
punish you for sin. Sin will punish you if you make stupid decisions like doing 120 around a you know, 90 degree curve on a road. You're an idiot, right? Ooh, hey, Jesus, I get to see you now. Well, that wasn't my plan, but you know. Hi, welcome. We love you. Dumb move. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just kidding. But the idea the consequences will, will hit you, not God. He's with you the entire step. First Corinthians. This is awesome because we love this one, that weddings, you know, love is patient, love is kind. Woohoo, isn't that wonderful? Guess what? Love keeps no record of wrongs. God is love. He doesn't have it as in just an app, an add-on, an attribute. No, he is. His essence, his DNA is love. And love keeps no record of wrongs. There's no one keeping a record of your wrongs. You're forgiven. When you start to believe this, your life will change. And I promise you, for some of us, it could take a year or two for that truth to actually settle in. It's not a vending machine truth. We have so much stuff to unlearn. Next week, we're going to get into why do we need to forgive this part. Why? Why is it so important? You're going to love it. (laughs) So come back next week. Invite somebody. Be encouraged. I want you to leave here with hope. No condemnation. Good news or not, like it's it's got to be good news. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. May you open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear what it is we need to see and hear today. And will you please be our faith? to believe what we need to believe that we are not currently believing. Wake us up. Guide us into a great awakening of your profound love that is wider, deeper, and higher than anything we can imagine. Thank you, Jesus. You're awesome.